Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and we are back for another week of true crime telling and talking about healthcare professionals doing good things and bad things, (laughs) and I have Kiki with me. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) This is our 100th episode. That's pretty cool. It's pretty crazy. So Kiki was the one that actually said something she goes are we doing anything special for your one i was like what it just kind of snuck up on me i didn't realize it yeah you know what's crazy is i listened to the podcast before i moved to the same town as tina and (laughs) who would have known that i would have ever been on any episode of this but funny (laughs) it's pretty awesome (laughs) well we thought it would be kind of fun to give you guys a little bonus at the end of this episode because we're going to have a a typical true crime story and boy it is a very tragic oh just unbelievable story and then we have an awesome good nurse to talk about but then as a bonus a ton of you guys have emailed me and messaged me telling me how much you really enjoyed the new grad episode that sam and i did a couple of years ago when we really just first started the podcast and i kind of felt like a new grad at the time really i mean i know it's just been a little over two years but i still feel like i've learned a lot since then and i feel like i've got a lot more wisdom that i could offer and i could mm-hmm. i think there's just a lot. And also you being a relatively new grad. I'm still a new grad. Yeah. I feel like I still consider myself a new grad. I think it's healthy to consider yourself, you know, a new grad for as long as you can, because there's so much to know. So at the end of this episode, we're going to dedicate however much time. I don't know how long this is going to be, but <laughs> we'll talk about being a new grad, all the all of the things that go along with that, the struggles, and maybe try to give you guys some advice. And I don't know, we'll see where it goes. So as far as our bad nurse story for this week, this is the story of Dennis Zakowski. I guess is how you say that. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. Dennis Zakowski, and it's spelled C-Z-A-J-K-O-W-S-K-I. Dennis was a, a staff nurse at Norristown State Hospital. And he was basically what we call a psych nurse. He worked in a Mm -hmm. a psychiatric facility. And he had had some problems in the past with drug addiction and an adjustment disorder. And the administration at this hospital where he worked, they knew knew about this. But they said, well, as long as you follow your treatment plan, you know, do whatever you're supposed to do, that's okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So after he went through the hiring process, Dennis's dad told one of the employees there at the hospital that Dennis was schizophrenic and paranoid that there was a conspiracy against him. I mean, yeah. I think it's fair, though, that they hired him despite his past. I think it, it makes him a better nurse for it to be able to relate to that population. Mm-hmm. As long as you are managing it and you are able to function and to, and do your job appropriately and take care of people that really shouldn't play into, you know, factor into whether or not you're hired. But Dennis was hard to work with. He would come across as apathetic. Sometimes his coworkers would say he would be very hostile toward the patients. His coworkers said that he was sometimes behaving as if he was the patient. And sometimes it was almost hard to determine the difference between him and the patient as far as like his behavior. If you were just describing how he acted, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I've ever worked with someone like that before where you kind of thought, wow, you, this person's kind of out of control. Unfortunately, I have. Really? (laughs) Yeah. That's scary. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's really scary to think of working with someone like this. It's this unstable. So there were a few incidences of him yelling at patients in their face, being overly aggressive when restraining patients. I just, ugh, just like reading this part of the story, mm-hmm. I don't get how that was even tolerated from the beginning. I don't think it's ever appropriate because it's unprofessional and you're not going to get anywhere yelling at someone. Mm-hmm. You're never going to accomplish anything good by yelling at someone. Now, can I kind of understand, because we're all human, someone being in a situation where, for example, I have witnessed a nurse get upset and yell at a patient because that patient kind of swatted at them, like hit them, basically. Mm-hmm. And so the nurse just like reacted. Like, yeah. do not hit me, you know. And, and that's fair. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I'm not going to say that that's appropriate. It's not. It isn't appropriate. It isn't professional. But it's understandable that it happens. It doesn't mean that it's right to do. It means that you can understand it. And then that, what it's time to like reflect, you know, like on your way home kind of think yeah. about it. Well, most people that are not in that situation that don't understand it may say something like, oh, why would you do that? It's, it's not their fault that they're like that. They can't help it. You know, you put yourself in NCLEX world, in the perfect world, mm-hmm. and you know the right thing to do is to not yell, obviously. No one can understand this unless you're in the situation. I remember when I was working in the behavior health unit, when I was, I was in nursing school, I wasn't, I wasn't a nurse yet. And I remember seeing some things that really scared me because those patients were unpredictable and they were scary. I didn't know if they were not, if they were going to try to hit me, you know, I would be afraid to go and get their blood pressure or do whatever I needed to, you know, their temperature, do what I needed to do as a CNA. I was afraid because they're strong. Yeah. It's scary. So I can understand kind of being in that situation and just all of a sudden, like yelling, not at all justifying the actions. Of course, it's not ever right uh, to yell at a patient. It's it, just trying to understand it, you know, trying to understand it. Because if you understand it and you talk about it and everybody admits that, yes, this is something that happens from time to time, maybe we can change it. Maybe we can all learn better coping mechanisms for ourselves. You know, like what can I do so that I don't do this again? Mm-hmm. You know, so that was where Dennis was and... His co-workers definitely recognized this was happening a lot for him, more so than normal. Not just the typical, um, you know, outburst from stress, but it was just getting out of hand. Carol was his nurse manager. And then Maria worked as, uh, worked in nurse, nursing administration. So this is Carol and Maria. These two people are going to be obviously very key in this story. And the three of them would have to meet together a lot for different issues because they were having so many problems with him at work. And Dennis actually liked Maria because she was very patient and very kind towards him. And other people would keep a distance. This is really scary to me because she was trying to do the quote right thing. Right. She was trying to say, you know, I know everyone else is afraid of him. I'm going to try to show him kindness. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of person she was. That's just who she was in her life. Um, And it actually, it actually ended up causing him to sort of fixate on her when things began to go south. So he started working there at the hospital in August of 1997. And 
in April of 1998, his behavior that, you know, he, everyone knew was difficult to work with. And, but those things that, that made him difficult to work with started escalating. And Maria, his boss, you know, in, in, in administration was receiving more and more reports about him and his hostility towards his coworkers and, and patients. And she was starting to feel like he was a big liability to the hospital to have as an employee. However, she was still nice to him. She still wanted to help him. I mean, she just sounds like a truly wonderful like a person. Gem. Yeah. Well, and really the kind of person you want in psych, right? That Absolutely. Someone, yeah. That understanding. Yeah. Dennis brought her gifts in her office because he said, you know, she was so nice to him. And I think she said that he, he said something like, she made him feel good. And Maria at first was brushing that off and then kind of thought it was innocent. But then when he started coming in more and more frequently, complaining about people plotting against him and wanting to lose his job, she started realizing he was unstable and she was becoming uh, really uncomfortable with the way things were going. Mm -hmm. So in September 1998, his behavior towards Maria was changing and he wasn't nice to her anymore. He was paranoid. He would say she was plotting a way for him to lose his job. There were multiple reports made about this, but nothing was really done. And this is what's really sad to me because clearly there were a lot of people that were worried about him and worried about his behavior. And it just seemed like it just kept getting swept under the rug and no one wanted to deal with his coworkers suspected he was using drugs because of his erratic and unpredictable behavior. And eventually, he actually got arrested for possession of heroin. In November 1998, he took a leave of absence. And he wasn't permitted on the hospital grounds without an appointment. And actually, everyone was really relieved that he wasn't there. Because it just, you know, he just caused so much stress. And people were so worried. Mm-hmm. So one night when Maria stayed late at work, Dennis, I can't imagine this. This is horrifying to me. Mm-hmm. He showed up to work, scared her to death. He was very threatening, demanding that she stop plotting against him. And of course, she reported it, but... So, April 16, 1999, Dennis was terminated from NSH for not complying with his addiction treatment plans. And really, everybody was just relieved, had this huge weight lifted off of them, especially Maria. Obviously, she felt like he was fixating on her. So, here we are. He's been kind of let go, right? Because he wasn't in compliance and everybody Mm -hmm. is thinking, oh, no more worries, right? He's gone. Security is aware that this man is not allowed, should not be allowed on the property, but somehow the following events unfolded. So June 16th, 1999 started as a great day for Maria. She remembers driving to work and she remembers the sun and the radio on and just she said it was just the most beautiful day and i can imagine after the events that took place later how every single moment of that day probably just really stuck out in her mind yeah so it was also carol you know we talked about earlier earlier carol the nurse manager it was her first day back after she had been out sick which is so sad this makes me just when i think about how unfortunate, you know, that is her first day back. Yeah. At 10.45 a.m., Dennis and a bail bondsman that he, I guess he had asked to come with him 
showed up unexpectedly in Maria's office. They came there, apparently, to serve papers. Yeah, he, like, wanted an investigation for why they fired him. So Carol was there, and they they were there kind of catching up since Carol had been out for a while. They were shocked to see Dennis standing there. And even though security saw the two men coming onto the property, no one warned Maria that he was even there, even though, of course, they knew that she was fearful of him. So after Dennis served Maria the papers demanding an investigation for his termination, he let the bail bondsman leave. Then he pulled a gun out and he fired a shot into the roof. Can you imagine how? Oh, my God. I can't. If I was in that situation, you think of like your fight or flight response. I would just like freeze. Well, the the things that happened. And you guys, I mean, this is obviously listening to our podcast. We obviously have true crime stories and there are scary things that happen this is a very graphic kind of thing that happened to them and so you know if if you want to skip ahead feel free to do that it's so disturbing what happened there wasn't any sort of sexual abuse or anything like that it's just that it was just horrible i mean i feel like in this day and age like gun violence is Mm -hmm. triggering to a lot of people i think unfortunately yeah Well, he shot Maria four times. He shot her in both wrists. He shot her in her right foot. And then he shot her in the left side of her chest. She was bleeding profusely, but still awake and alert, which is unbelievable to me. He held Maria and Carol hostage in her office from June 16th through the morning of June 18th. The hospital negotiators only succeeded in making Dennis more angry as they tried to reason with him. And as he got mad because they would, you know, they would like use that bullhorn thing or whatever to talk to him. And he hated that and would tell him not to use it. And they would use it again. He would get so angry, but he would take his anger out on Marie and Carol. And at one point he handcuffed them together. And that when you, you guys, this, there's a, there are lots of stories about this actually out there, lots of videos on it, but oxygen was it oxygen or no investigation discovery no it was it was like um on hulu some oh right um obsessions. Deadly obsessions yeah obsession something yeah so that is a really good video if you just kind of want to see what happened and maria herself is actually on there telling the story and when she talks about this what happened it's you can literally see the pain in her face She said she could not believe he was about to handcuff her because he, remember, shot her in both of her wrists. And then he proceeds to handcuff her to Carol with her hand, with her wrist, Mm -hmm. you know, with this huge wound. I can't even imagine. By the second day, they knew that Dennis had to be starving. So in an effort to get him out of the office and take him down, they put food outside in the hall. Dennis then decided he would use Carol and Maria as shields when he went to grab the food. So the SWAT team couldn't um, do anything. Maria said that she remembered when he was walking outside with them as a shield, she remembered thinking that she knew she could feel the police, like the SWAT team, like behind the pillars. She knew they were there. Mm -hmm. And she just, she said, I remember thinking, just do something. I don't care what it is. Just do something. Take him down. 
I know. I can't imagine being in that position and like having so much hope when you actually leave that office and then just being pulled back into the same room in the same exact situation. I know. And I know that the police were wanting to do everything that they could to obviously save Maria and Carol's life, you know, mm-hmm. and they were, they were trying. So Maria was still alert, bleeding, in excruciating pain, obviously. Carol understands how serious Maria's injuries are, understanding that she had been shot four times, one of which is in the chest. So she begins to beg Dennis for him to let Maria go. And Maria is like, you know, I could not believe that she was so selfless to do this. She literally was begging him, please let Maria go. She's hurt. Let them take her. None of the hospital negotiators could reason with him. They told him that his family was outside. That made everything worse, telling him that his family was out there. And then finally, on June 18, 1999, at 8.30, police broke in. They broke into the window of the office and immediately threw a flashbang detonation device into the room to divert Dennis's attention. And then they subdued him and removed the badly wounded Maria to safety. But unfortunately, before police took Dennis down, he shot Maria two more times and shot and killed Carol, which is just, oh my gosh, it's just so horrible to think about. You know, she was, Maria was shot six times. This woman, that's insane to me because Carol was shot like what, once and died. And then Maria was shot six times. Yeah. He and shot like and killed fine. Him. Maria was shot six times. It was not her time to go. Maria had more things to do. And I feel like her, I feel like Maria's purpose was to go out there and tell the story to help people understand that this is what mental illness can do. This is why we need to get help for people who are struggling with mental illness. Um, this is why we don't need to just act like mental illness is not an important thing to take care of in our country. Mm-hmm. So in 2002, Dennis was charged with first-degree murder and attempted murder. He went to prison for life. Maria made a full recovery. And in 2004, she went back to work as a nurse instructor. She devotes her teaching career to Carol. And so sweet. That's the sweetest thing. Yeah. Could you imagine having her as your nursing instructor and and hearing that story? I would love it. And she obviously comes from a a place of uh, compassion and empathy and she's obviously passionate about teaching her students and sharing her story and honoring Carol. And I just, oh my gosh, the story is just, it's so tragic. And yet Maria is such a strong person and uh, such a wonderful person to have done, you know, to have handled it the way that she did. Carol was a wonderful person to have handled it the way that she did. Mm -hmm. Crazy. I mean, unbelievable that she would beg her captor to take the other person because she was injured yeah i i think it's great that she is an instructor because uh students need someone that's super passionate about psych because i feel like the few people that do go into psych like at least the nursing class i graduated with they're like a hundred percent like devoted to it i don't know you just really need that one person to like fire up the individuals that are going to go and make a difference. I agree. I completely agree. But make no mistake, just because you choose to go into other areas that's not psychiatric um, in nature, 
Like maybe you want to work at the ED, maybe you work critical care. Maybe every you want to patient work- is a psych patient. Every at the end patient, of the day. it's true. Every patient is a psych patient. That's what you have to understand. If you are a nurse, you're going to be a psych nurse, no matter mm-hmm. where you're working. Be prepared to help people in this capacity. Well, we can talk about our good nurse story. So I found this nurse. This nurse was born in 1890. I love it. She was born February 27th. Her name is Mabel Keaton Stoppers, S-T-A-U-P-E-R-S. And she was a pioneer in the American nursing profession. She became an advocate for racial equality in the nursing profession. She successfully paid a way for African Americans to be accepted in the U.S. military, as well as other educational, institutional, and organizational structures. So the thing is, back in this, uh, during this time in 1945, she became the executive secretary of the National Association of Colored Graduate Nurses. And she wrote that Negro nurses recognize that service to their country is a responsibility of citizenship. And I love that because what she's saying is we want to be included because we want to be able to be responsible as citizens of the United States of America. We want to be, all we want to do is be good citizens. Can you please just let us serve in the military? So In 1945, the military had a strict 56 black nurse quota to enter the service, and it enforced segregated practices for those who were already in the service. Now, this absolutely outraged Miss Stoppers. And what I love about her is, you know, I'm outraged by a lot of things. Uh, Sometimes I I read about things and I'm just like, oh, I get so mad. You know, Mm -hmm. you see things in the news, you see things scrolling through social media and you see things that are happening. You see videos of horrible, atrocious things that are going on. And you're just like, how can this happen? And you're just, I'm just outraged by it. Well, Miss Stoppers decided to do something about it. She was one of these people who weren't, she wasn't just outraged. She actually did something. She attacked the hypocrisy of the Surgeon General. Norman Kirk at the time was the Surgeon General. And his plan was to draft white women as nurses instead of qualified black nurses to meet the shortage of nurses in the military. So in 1945, the U.S. Army opened its Armed Forces Nurses Corps to all all applicants, regardless of race. So in 1948, the American Nursing Association followed suit and allowed African-American nurses to become members. It's really, really difficult for me to imagine a world, imagine a United States of America where there is an entire group of people that just because of the color of their skin, they're not allowed to be in this, you know, like this group, American Nurses Association. Why? It's unbelievable. It is. It, and it's crazy that it wasn't even that long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. That's I mean, insane to me. How? How could we be? That That feels like policies that are just barbaric. Mm-hmm. That you would be like, oh, no, your, your skin has this much melanin in it, then you're not allowed. You know, it's, it's so silly. And yet this is what it, this is what was going on. And this woman, Miss Doppers, had the courage to step up and do something about it. And she literally made a difference. And that's why week in and week out, we are focusing in on people like her 
who had the courage to step up and do something and make a difference and try to highlight their lives because, wow, what bravery. She died in 1989. She was 99 years old. She lived for 99 years. That's crazy. That is crazy. (laughs) A long time. She died November 29th, 1989 at the age of 99 in Washington, D.C. You know, she was born in Barbados, so she wasn't born in America. Her family immigrated here when she was little. She was like 10, 10, 11 years old. And they immigrated here and she became a national citizen. So she had an uphill battle, but it just didn't deter her. She still did whatever she had to do to make a difference. I'm really proud of her. She once again makes me so proud to be a nurse. And I love reading these stories week in and week out about these people who are so brave. Well, I guess that wraps it up for another week of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, as far as our episode goes. And of course, now, as promised, we will talk about being, I'm excited about this. Me too. I feel like it's going to be fun. So you guys that have stuck around for the post-show discussion about being a new grad, or maybe those of you who skipped ahead, (laughs) I'm excited about doing this. The first time that we did a show on new grads, I did that with Sam, and she and I talked about it. I remember. I remember exactly where I was, like, mentally and emotionally, because I'd been a nurse for, like, three years at the time. I still felt new. At this time, it was right before I was offered the, I want to say, yeah, it was right before I was offered the team leader position, actually. That's crazy. (laughs) It is crazy because I felt so new. And I remember thinking when they offered me the team leader position, wait a minute, I'm not. (laughs) Yes. So I had listened to this episode. I moved from a completely different state. I didn't know anybody where I was moving. And so I listened to that episode and I was, I like loved it. And then I remembered and my preceptor told me that my team leader at the time, who was Tina, like had the podcast Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And I was like, you're kidding me. (laughs) And I just thought that was the coolest freaking thing. So now here we are. I think that's crazy. That with a new grad episode, I know that I remember um, being very passionate about it because I was really kind of at that point where I was feeling very confident as a nurse. Like I was really enjoying my job as a nurse. In fact, if you guys remember, I've said this before, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start a podcast because I kind of realized, wait a minute, hold up. I actually like being a nurse. What happened? Because I when I first started, I was so freaking stressed out. Like I worked at this hospital, very first job. It was so stressful. Nurse to patient ratios, nightmare, no support. I was alone. I had my preset, my orientation was way too short. It was the worst situation ever. And then I got to transfer to this hospital that was wonderful where I got this long, nice orientation. They just treated me as a new grad, which is what I wanted. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, This is such a huge difference. And yet, I was still overwhelmed. I was still stressed. I was, I've said this before, and it's not anything new. I I, I was kind of regretting, you know, being a nurse. And anybody that would listen to me, especially someone considering going to nursing school, I kind of was a little bit, like, negative. I was just so stressed out. I was like, oh my gosh, no, it's just so hard. You know, and, and what I was feeling, what I, you know, looking back on it, what I was feeling was that I had all this responsibility of taking care of these people who were so sick. 
And I did not feel, I, I was just afraid. I, I didn't feel adequate. I felt that imposter syndrome that people talk about. Yeah. In retrospect, I did know what I was doing, <laughs> but I had no confidence whatsoever. But I mean, I did a good job. I took care. I, I feel like I did take really good care of my patients. But when you don't know and you're just afraid, like you don't know what's going on with your patients. And you're kind of like in that mode of just doing the tasks. Mm -hmm. It's different. You don't really necessarily know why you're doing what you're doing all the time. And you're so afraid of like, am I missing something? It, I feel like you're very like time oriented. Like, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. Like, it's important to have things done on time. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I feel like. I could be completely wrong and doing it all wrong, <laughs> but I just feel like times are like a guideline because you haven't like, for example, medications, you haven't like an hour before an hour after to administer it. And it is our job. Like we have a degree um, in order to prioritize what is most important. And then you get to this point that you are in charge of your own day and like those stupid care plans that you work so hard in nursing school are like legit for a reason. You need to go in and assess your patient. They may have come in for one reason, but when they're there for like 30 days, there may be something else that is now the new priority and you're assessing it as a nurse, the qualified professional that you are for that day. And sometimes meds don't get passed on time because you have to spend some time educating somebody, but that is the greater priority at the time. And I think once I realized that, I I really love the autonomy that I had as an RN. Yes, but you can't, you don't appreciate it at first. Yeah, at first it's super like overwhelming and you're like, how does anyone expect me to do my job <laughs> right? Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a new grad, you are... <laughs> You can't possibly just jump right in there and all of a sudden be perfect and have all your time management down pat and understand everything that's going on. And one thing goes wrong with your patient and you know exactly what to do. You know exactly what assessment to do and what intervention to do and when to call the doctor and when not to call the doctor. It's just that stuff comes with time. And those are the things that stress you out so much. And just let me tell you guys something. So we're talking, about, I know we're talking about new grads right now. If any of you guys are out there listening to this and you are thinking about tr uh, transferring over to another unit, like maybe you've been working in med search for a while and you think, oh, I'd like to try PCU or I'd like to try the ER or I'd like to try ICU. <laughs> when you transfer over to a, to um, a different level of care like that, uh, or at least, I mean, the cons the general consensus that I have gotten from people because I've been doing a project lately where I've done surveys of different people who are, who've done this. And I'm telling you, you are going to feel like a brand spanking new nurse. I've been a nurse for four and a half years. I transferred over to a different unit back in February and it was shocking. And I knew it was going to be scary. And I knew it was going to be different. And I still, I still found myself questioning. I still found myself going, Oh, I made a mistake. I don't know if I'm good enough. I, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough to do this. This is too much. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like overwhelmed. And then at some point, it happened. And I just like everything started clicking. And I was like, Oh, wait, yeah, I like it. Never mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's literally what happened to me when I became a nurse. Same thing. Like I started working and I was like, oh, I hate nursing. This is terrible. It's awful. It's just uh, because I felt so stressed all the time. I would go home feeling horrible about myself. I didn't mm-hmm. do this. I didn't do that. I'd wake up in the middle of the night going, oh, I forgot to do this. I think I forgot. Oh, I didn't tell the nurse about this. Like in report. Yeah. I feel like. Oh. I don't know how most nursing schools were, but my nursing school, the professor professors were so incredibly hard on us that I like had that voice in my head. And to this day, I'm thankful for it because I think I hold myself to a very high standard. But in the real world, I think people are a lot more forgiving. And I felt like I was kind of like in the military almost (laughs) when I was in nursing school. And so I remember being on orientation and getting report with my preceptor and my preceptor would ask the night nurse a question about the report. And I'd be like, why didn't I think about asking that? Why wasn't I concerned? And I would just like beat myself up. I'd be like, I'm not even critically thinking about the situation. But in reality, I was just so overwhelmed with everything. And like, you have to be patient with yourself and like, you cannot be perfect, and it's going to take time. And I just had, like, those horrible voices in my head, like, how do you expect to be a nurse when you're not even thinking about the outcome of blah, 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 blah? It's true. You're going to beat yourself up. Like, you, you really are. You're going to beat yourself up. It's just inevitable. And it doesn't even matter. I knew that this was going to be a problem when I transferred over to a different unit, and still, I just struggled with it. When you are a new grad and you haven't even had that opportunity, like even if you listen to this and you think, okay, I know that Tina struggled with it. I know that Kiki struggled with it. So it's okay. You're still going to doubt yourself. You're still going to wonder, but please stick it out. Don't jump ship too soon because if you get, give yourself some time, most likely you're going to at some point look up and look around and just be like, wait a minute. All of a sudden, I'm not the person that's going for, to other people with questions. I'm the person other people are asking me questions. Yeah, and you just have like this uh, incredible day where you've you've done all the tasks that you've once feared, mm-hmm. and you've done it like by yourself, and you're just like, I'm doing the damn thing, <laughs> and it's just an amazing feeling. It is an amazing, and it takes feeling. time. It does. It takes time. Please, you guys, any nurse. I, when I transferred over to this different unit, the nur- there are some nurses there that are, when I look at them and I see the things that they know and the things that they are able to do, I'm so amazed by them and they are so humble and they have told me just because they, just in order to make me feel better. I know because why else would they, you know, we're just talking about things and I have no problem admitting my weaknesses. I tell, I mean, I just. I'll just spell it right out for you. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did this. Or I just can't believe, can't believe I did that. And these nurses who I look up to just so much and who I think, oh my goodness, I'm not anywhere near them. I hope they don't see how inadequate I am. These nurses will li- literally look at me and tell me like a mistake that they made or a time when they felt so inadequate or that they feel inferior, you know, because they make a mistake and someone calls them on it. And I literally had one of the nurses on the floor who I look up to so much because she knows, I feel like she knows everything. And when she looks at me and tells me like, it's, it's not hard at all for another nurse or a doctor to make her feel inferior. I'm just, 
I remember looking at her thinking, how? Like, who could make you possibly feel inferior? You know everything. You can do anything. You're so confident. And yet she, it's just what we do to ourselves. I think it's, I honestly think it's a marker of a really good nurse because we are, we make ourselves vulnerable, but we're also really hard on ourselves because we want to be the absolute best. Mm -hmm. So I, I, if you guys are feeling that way, I just want to encourage you and for for the nursing students who are listening, I don't want to scare you off. I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be afraid. I just want you to, when you experience these feelings of inadequacy, I want you to think about this conversation that you heard and, and just be like, okay, I know I want, I know I want to quit right now, but I'm not going to because I know that this is what something that everybody experiences. It's just, and I hope that you are in an environment wherever you're working of supportive nurses. Unfortunately, I know not every environment is like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm really sorry if you're having to go through something like that because it's, it happens. It just does where people pick on you and bully and try to highlight your, your mistakes, um, make you feel bad. You know, if you don't know something. Yeah. I think that was a really important part of my interviewing process. I had experienced some bullying in my clinical rotations as a nursing student. And so I had so much anxiety that I was going to be a new grad and get paired with a preceptor that would be like totally judgmental. And so when I interviewed, I like would shadow on the floors and I would kind of like assess the situation and be like, okay, who works here? Like, is it all just like a bunch of new people how is the environment? Are they positive? Are they uplifting? And so when I came onto the unit that I'm currently on, I noticed that there was men and women and there was women that were like middle aged, there was younger women. And I don't know that obviously all that stuff doesn't matter. But like, it, I felt like there is a lot of people coming from all walks of life working on that unit. And there was just a lot of like support. And so there's nothing there's no like textbook way to say it. You just have to go in and like shadow and use your best judgment. And sometimes maybe another floor like sounds cooler. Like maybe you get offered in say like a critical care area and you think that's like so cool. And, but it it's like, you can't just take a job for your ego. Like as a new grad, I feel like you need to take a position where you're going to feel supported and you're going to be able to become the most confident and competent nurse that you can be because those first couple years are critical to like laying that foundation for the nurse that you're going to be like and I'm not saying like as a new grad you can't go into critical care that's not at all what I'm saying I think I think that if you're passionate about a specialty area by all means go into it if you want to switch later you can do whatever the hell you want to do that you're passionate about I'm just saying, I think as a new grad, it is imperative to have a a team that is supportive. That's just my opinion. I agree. I would never tell someone like, oh my gosh, don't go into ICU. I, yeah, or- I hate the, the theory. Like as a new grad, you need to work in med surge. Like no. do your two years in med surge, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I think two years in med surge is an incredible foundation. But if you're in an environment where you're being bullied, that is going to do nothing for you but burn you out. Yeah, it's not for everyone. 
if you do your pre, I mean, if you're able to do a preceptorship in an ICU, because you're, you know, you're thinking of that, I would recommend to do it. Do some shadowing if it's, if it's at all possible, if you really think and you want to do ICU. It is hard, obviously. The nurses who are in ICU are going to be a little harder on you. They're going to expect more of you. Some of them may even think that you shouldn't be there. So you're going to have to have some tough skin. You might, if you are working ICU in a, a more rural area, that you know might be a little different. You mm-hmm. might be able to handle that. There are there are new grads who go into ICUs at level one trauma centers and handle all that stuff because what are they going to do? Are they going to hand you hand, hand you an ECMO patient uh, right off or, orientation? Of course not. They're going to give you patients that you're capable of taking. Mm-hmm. They're going to train you, and when they feel comfortable with your abilities, they're going to turn those patients over to you. Just realize it doesn't matter if you have a patient in ICU. You have a patient on a step-down unit, PCU, or med surge. These people are all vulnerable. And at any time, you can have a patient who is in need of your skills, in need of your ability to assess them and, and see a change, an acute change in them that you need to do something about. That happens all the time on med surge floors, all the time. So don't think just because you're, quote, working a med surge floor, that your skills and your critical thinking abilities are not needed. They obviously are. Those patients mm-hmm. are in the hospital for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to, your your skills have to be even more on point. You have to be more in hi- more heightened because guess what? You got six patients instead mm-hmm. of two. And yet one of those six patients could be declining and you still have to be aware of what's going on at the time that you are able to get in that room you better be assessing that patient you better know what that patient looks like at the beginning of your shift so that two hours later when you're able to get back in there you know whether this is normal for them or not whether Mm -hmm. there's been a change yeah absolutely i think anywhere you go can lay a great foundation but i hate when i see new grads just take a position because it is quote cooler. I hate to even say that, but like if you get offered a position, say in the ED and you think that's badass because it totally is. Um, but if you, and you interview there and you're not really like vibing with it and like, it doesn't feel right, then don't just take it because it's cool. Like take it, go into the environment that is going to nourish you. And then you will be the nurse that can like pour into other nurses. And then after you get that foundation, you can go wherever you want. And it doesn't really matter. Yeah, of course. And don't be afraid to move if you need to. Don't be afraid. You know, you get you get two years experience on your med search floor or on your step down unit or whatever. Don't be afraid to say, you know what? I feel confident now. I think I do have my skills. Don't just settle in and think, oh, well, I just want to be comfortable. Don't be afraid to move and challenge yourself. But uh, most, first and foremost, as new grads, I want you guys to realize that you're going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be scary. You're going to feel inadequate. You're going to have that imposter syndrome. You're going to feel like you don't know what you're doing. And just know that every other nurse, whether they admit it or not, has been there at one point in time mm-hmm. or another. And I think a huge thing is to be patient with yourself. But if something is truly not a match, like you've been patient and it's been months and months and it's still not working out, then give yourself the grace to go and maybe like transfer to another 
like area or something that would be a better fit for you. Like nurses are needed in all areas and they're all special in their own ways that are all going to like, you know, touch patients' lives in different, I don't know, ways. Absolutely. There is no such thing as like, you know, the, the top tier of nursing being such and such unit. Uh, we're not, we're not going to name names here because it's ridiculous. That's not true. There are every single area of nursing. I don't care which, I don't care where you're working. You're all nurses. You know, we all pass the same NCLEX, right? Mm-hmm. And we all have a passion for taking care of our patients. We all have that, that critical thinking that we're trying to hone and make better, you know, and your job, whether you have, um, you know, six, seven, eight patients, it's terrible. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's the truth. That's the reality. Um, on a med search floor, whether you have three or four patients on a PCU or whether you have, you know, one to two or three patients on a, on an ICU, it doesn't matter. We all have our role and we're all very, very important. And you have to take your job so seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a new grad time is just so exciting because it's discovering your strengths and weaknesses as a nurse and you know are you a patient are you like a patient individual that likes to you know really love on their patients do you like to educate your patients do you like the high action like trauma situations like life saving situations it's a time of like self-discovery i think like as a professional and it's okay to take your time figuring it out and one isn't better than the other. I feel like, you know, Tina now, she's like so cool CVICU nurse. <laughs> they have their stereotype, like life saving. They know like all their hemodynamics, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, okay, but I maybe like as a nurse on like a med surge floor, I'm just as important because I can sit down and I love educating my patients and taking the time with them. Whereas a different personality on another floor, like doesn't even want to deal with it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And here's the thing that nurse, that med surge nurse who does take that extra couple of minutes to talk to that patient about, uh, what they, about, you know, being a CHF patient about their fluid restriction, talking about the different zones, you know, the heart zones for a CHF patient and explaining things to them. Like when you go home, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to be thinking of. You are preventing that patient from then going into yet another exacerbation of, of congestive heart failure or COPD. You're educating them about that. Or, you know, they get a stent place. You're educating them about being sure to take their anticoagulation medication. These things are so important because guess what? These are the people that come back to the hospital because they thought, well, I don't need to take my Berlinta. That's just a stupid med. I don't need to take that. Yeah. And then has guess a what history happens? of an MI. I don't need to take my aspirin. It's only a couple of weeks. Has just, another MI. Right. And it's like messed up that we laugh, but it's just like, it is just truly like a lack of education and understanding. It's so important. Also, if you are a med search nurse, if you do have those, you know, six, seven, eight patients, those people are in the hospital. We all know that those people have 
the ability have you know there there is a risk that they're gonna things are gonna go south for them. It's so important that you uh, at the beginning of their shift do your assessment, know what your patient looks like, understand that I might not be back in this room for a couple of hours, so I better get my assessment done first thing. You need to know what that patient looks like. What do their lungs sound like? What is their what do their bowel sounds sound like? Do they have edema? Do they have pulses? Count their freaking respirations. Yes, absolutely count the respirations. It's not funny. At least, like, I see so many memes and I'm over it. Okay. Count your respirations, at least in the morning, at least in the afternoon. Just do it. And if you're assessing the respirations, you'll notice if there is a change. Mm -hmm. And that is the first thing that is going to change when there's something going wrong with your patient. Please don't poo-poo this. Uh, we (laughs) please don't poop with this i mean the thing is we work on a pcu well i don't now but i I still feel like i do i i never want to say i don't work there for some reason i don't ever like my natural tendency is to say i still work there it's so weird when i talk i don't want to admit that i don't still work i'm in denial but um the patients that are on pcu are they're kind of respiratory in nature, usually. Yeah, I guess that's why I'm so honed on it. We are, yeah, we definitely understand the importance of, of counting respirations, keeping an eye on that, recognizing the difference between someone who's um, breathing 16 times a minute versus 24. And you you see it immediately. You know them. You walk in the room, you can tell someone who's breathing 16 times a minute versus 24 and you know like whoa, 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 whoa this person was not breathing this fast mm-hmm. and you understand that that's something to be concerned about you mm-hmm. don't just ignore that you let someone know yeah you, or you even know. that slow <laughs> right or that slow either either way respirations are very important they're not something to laugh at and make fun of and joke around about we don't really count them yes you do you can count respirations for like 15 seconds and multiply by yeah, four. Yeah, if they're regular, just count it for 15 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. And like sometimes it's awkward. I like kind of – I like to sneak into the room and catch my patient when they're sleeping, and that will usually be the first thing I do. And it is like it's so weird. I'm just staring at them, like watching their chest rising and falling. But I get like that baseline, and then I'm like, okay. And if something is different – like I kind of, I make like a mental note. I know what I saw at first. And so, I don't know. That's just super important. Oh, it is important, you guys. Um, I'm getting ready to do a talk at some point about a month um, for the Georgia Nurse Student Nurse Association. And I'm going to be talking about assessment. I'm going to be uh, using some real life stories of things that have happened uh, where patients were kind of just there being monitored. Everything was supposed to be normal. And then all of a sudden something went wrong in the nurse, not using his or her assessment skills because they just assumed this was just status quo. This is a typical, Oh, everybody's fine. It's not a big deal. And something bad happened. And we're going to be talking about that because I really want you guys to know how important it is to do your assessment at the beginning of your shift and keep assessing that patient. Every time you walk in the room, you're assessing your patient. You're assessing their mental status. You're looking at their, see if they're swelling. Yeah, like as a bedside nurse in a hospital, that is the most important job, like job we have. Who cares about the freaking Daisy Award? (laughs) Or like... 
if everyone loves you, like you are an educated individual and you have these assessment skills that other people don't have, that they don't recognize if a change means something significant and you do, and that's your main job. So I don't know. I would just take pride in that. And really the most important thing, and that's your assessment skills and your ability to recognize an acute change in your patient. That is so, so, so important for nurses who are working in acute care at the bedside in a hospital. Your ability to keep an eye on your patient, always be thinking, always be thinking that they could change at any moment. Always. If you start talking to them and they are acting a little different, don't just assume, well, they're just sleepy. Nope. Nope. You know, it, that that's the thing. That's what happens. That's the, uh, the problem that happens that we fall into. Mm-hmm. And if you recognize something and no one else think it, thinks it's a big deal, just document the hell out of that. <laughs> well, because you can't, sometimes you will recognize something and you will be alarmed and you will be thinking something's not right about this. Pa- I don't feel good about this. And you will let the provider know. You'll let your team leader know. You'll let the person that's on call know. You'll let anybody know that'll listen. You'll be talking to all kinds of people like, I don't feel good about this. And no one else is worried but you. Document it. Please document it. You need to be aware of the fact that sometimes you're going to be surrounded by people who, for whatever reason, either maybe they're just wrong or maybe they're busy or maybe they're just not paying attention or whatever. They don't know. You it, all of those, you know, holes could align just right. And you are the one who's worried about something that you should be worried about and you can't get anyone else to listen. It's important. It's unfortunate when that sort of thing happens, but it does happen. The other thing I would say when it comes to being a new grad. Okay. Now we've talked about how it is dealing with people who are kind of bully new grads who sort of like, like to take advantage of, um, maybe, make themselves feel good because of the stuff that they know by making the new grad feel, feel dumb, you know, and pointing out things they don't know, or you didn't do this or you didn't do that. Sometimes people will do that. On the flip side of that, there are some new grads out there who maybe have a tendency to be a little bit of a know-it-all and maybe, maybe uh, question everything their preceptor tries to tell them. And, at some point, the preceptors sitting there rolling their eyes like, oh my goodness, this person is ridiculous because they, that you are, and as a new grad, you're kind of still in new, in, in NCLEX world. And it's just really difficult to come out of NCLEX world for some people. And you still want to be in the zone of, wait, we're supposed to do it this way. We're supposed to do it that way. Let me just say that while, yes, of obviously you want to try to do everything to the very best of your ability, uh, to the letter of the law and do, do things the way you're supposed to do them. But you are not going to win. Fl- you are not going to win friends and assimilate into a unit by going on there and questioning everything your preceptor says to you, arguing with them about the way you do this or the way you do that. Why we do it this way. Why we don't do it that way. Questioning and calling out things that you perceive as being mistakes you are definitely not going to do yourself any favors by doing that. I'm just saying, be careful about that. 
it's it's an easy trap to fall into because mm-hmm. <laughs> because we get taught the perfect way of doing like in NCLEX world there are no other factors and, right you know so it's an easy trap to fall into i'm just saying be careful as a new grad you might find yourself being bullied by some of the n- nurses who have been there for a while because maybe you have had a bit of an attitude yourself and been a little bit judgmental of them mm-hmm. if you do that you're going to probably find yourself being bullied which i mean it's still not okay to be bullied but hopefully there's somebody there to support you and educate you and love you through whatever it is that you do. (laughs) Well, hopefully, you know, one thing that I've always said to people, um, my preceptor, my very first preceptor that I had while I was in clinicals and I was doing my preceptorship, you know, nursing school, but right before I graduated, one of the very first things that, that she said to me was, I know that while you're following me, you're going to have a tendency to be judgmental because I was judgmental as a nursing student because you're learning everything the way things are supposed to be. You're learning like the textbook way. So please try to reel that in a little bit. Please try not to be judgmental. She said, I I realized after once I started working how bad I was. And once she said that to me, I tried to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell other people that if I have a student following me or I have an orientee, I always try to remind them of that. Please don't be too judgmental. Please don't be too hard on me. I know you're probably going to see things that you're going to question and you're going to think, what? You know, why are you doing it that way? That's not what you're supposed to do it. You know, there are always other factors that come into play. In the NCLEX world, you have to assume that everything's perfect. Mm -hmm. Life is not perfect. It's not. (laughs) It's really not. (laughs) Try to be patient. When you're wanting to assimilate into a floor, into a unit, keep that in mind. You know, I understand if you're questioning. I question things all the time. I look around and be like, why are we doing it like this? I'm I'm still like that. I'll look around and think, why are we doing like this? This is terrible. This could happen. That could happen. But I don't say it out loud. I might go home and say it to my husband. I might say it to one of my other coworkers that I really trust that I've known for a long time. But it's not a good idea to just be like shouting out from the rooftops, you know, at work. <laughs> you might upset a few people. Be careful. That's all I'm saying. Just be careful. As a new grad, just hang in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, you made it through the hard part, which is nursing school. And obviously you're a very special person if you like even had a remote interest to help people. And I don't know, no matter what crap that you're pulled through, I just hope that you never, you know, lose your passion for it and like leave the profession completely because there's so many different areas that you could go into as an RN, even if it's not in a hospital. So I don't know. Just, I would just stay hopeful and be positive as you can. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. Don't give up on it so soon. And another thing is how about, you know, Maya Angelou said, be the change that you want to see in the world, be the change that you want to see in the nursing profession. If you think that um, it's important to be supportive of each other, if you think that nurses should be helping each other, if you don't have anything to do, you should be helping out your fellow, your, your, your coworker. 
instead of sitting at the nurse's station scrolling on your phone, be that nurse that does that. Be the change you want to see. Because you know what happens usually? If you, one person can make a huge difference on a unit. You start being the person who looks at your neighbor and says, what can I do for you? No, seriously. What can I do for you? You look like you're, you know, like you've got a lot going on. Your, your team looks like it's pretty heavy. Is there something I can do? Like be serious about it. Actually legitimately offer to do something and just almost, almost insist. Like, can, do you have an antibiotic? You need me to hang? You got a med? You need me to pass? What can I do literally to help you? And let them feel like it's okay to give you something to do. And that's not, they're not going to, you're not going to then judge them over that. When you really start doing that, then that person, those people that you're helping, then they're going to realize, wow, that was really nice. And then when they don't have anything to do, they're maybe going to look at their neighbor and offer to help them. Mm-hmm. And then the domino it'll, effect, it'll just keep happening. And before it's you know a beautiful it, thing. you have a unit that is beautifully, beautifully run with wonderful people. Hello, the unit that I left not too long ago. That's exactly the way that unit runs and functions. And I love that people there so much because everybody just looks around and it's like, okay, I'm kind of caught up right now. Who can I help? And I love them so much for that. It's just such a supportive and wonderful unit. And actually the unit that I'm on right now is like that too. And I'm so thankful. So, Mm -hmm. so incredibly thankful. Be that nurse. That's what you need to be. Be the change you want to want to see in this world. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that's all for another week. Thank you guys for listening to our 100th episode Mm -hmm. of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And thank you, Tina, for having me. Thank you for coming, Kiki. This was so much fun. What a special episode. I feel like this was really nice. It's yeah. good to get to kind of hash this all out again. Yeah. <laughs> good. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I hope you got something from it. If you did, send me an email. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your story if it impacted you in any way or if, if it um, helped you in any way. If you have a story, um, a personal experience at all, please send me an email at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can also follow us on Instagram. Please do t- uh, at GoodNurseBadNurse um, on Instagram or GNBM Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And also, I just want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Be a good nurse. <laughs> <laughs>